What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, got a little something different, a little, little something special for you. I've been cooking up, and this is a presentation that I did recently about productivity, kind of a little, little game design productivity hacks type of thing. And I'm talking about a topic called habit fields and how pretty much everything around us creates different memories, different behaviors, and ultimately different habits. And how can we be intentional about that so that we can be productive, so that we can actually uh, sit down at our desk or at our favorite chair or wherever you sit to do your, your game designing and actually get things done as opposed to defaulting to the ever-present doom scrolling all throughout social media or YouTube or whatever your particular uh, digital drug of choice is. And this presentation is part of something called Board Game Design Pro, a brand new online resource that I'm launching to help game designers that want to get into the professional side of things, that you want to turn your game ideas into marketable products. And, you know, how do you do that? What are the resources you need? What's the information that you need? Well, I'm putting it all together into this membership type of website. Uh, it's not a course, though. It's not a cohort. It's not an online community or anything like that. We've already got the, the Facebook community, which is just phenomenal, continues to grow by leaps and bounds and just some of the most amazing people in the world in there. So I didn't want to recreate that. I wanted to do something different, something that didn't exist on the market. And so Board Game Design Pro is a series of what I'm calling skill sessions, which are these roughly one hour presentations where an expert on a particular topic comes in, does a presentation, does a live Q&A at the end for anybody there in attendance. You can ask your questions uh, to that expert about whatever the topic is, topic is related to game designing or publishing or crowdfunding. We're going to get into business side of things like so many different topics that we've already covered. Uh, this has already been running for about a month. I had this kind of pilot group of uh, members, uh, people from the Board Game Design Lab community that were so gracious to be part of the launching of this thing, helping me to get this thing right. And now it is open to the public. And I am just so incredibly excited to share it with you and bring it to life. And so if you're interested in going pro, not necessarily full time, right? I'm not saying, okay, go quit your day job or anything like that. But I'm just saying, if you're interested in actually making money, getting into the business side of things, whether you're licensing games out to publishers, you know, we talk a lot about contracts and development and different things like that. Or, you know, you want to run crowdfunding campaigns. We've got skill sessions about logistics and shipping rates and building a community and, and all sorts of things like that. If you want to get into publishing, we've got skill sessions all about that as well. And so if that interests you, please head on over to boardgamedesignlab.com slash pro and check it out. Just learn all about what we got going on, what's coming up. There's a big list of, of the skill sessions we've already done and then a big list of what's coming here in the near future as well. And like I said, this podcast is a presentation that I did recently about productivity to kind of give you a little bit of a taste of what's inside Board Game Design Pro. And again, that URL is boardgamedesignlab.com slash pro. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Blue Falcon Board Gaming, a United States Marine Corps veteran-owned business with the hopes of promoting positive mental health through board gaming and with the goal of making board games more accessible to the community by hosting and co-hosting free events. Their first game, Hen House Heist, is a competitive 3-5 player game that uses dice-driven location selection, secret bidding, and an old-fashioned battle of wits to compete to be the fox to swipe Farmerdale's most prized chickens. So be sure to visit the Blue Falcon Board Gaming Facebook page to learn more, and you can expect a Kickstarter in May of 2024. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. 
This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, let's talk about some board game design productivity hacks. Thank y'all so much for joining me. Uh, really excited to chat with you about game design productivity hacks. And I'm going to have to do probably a lot of these because there's so many things that I've been finding over the years that have worked for me either for a, a certain amount of time. And then I, you know, that kind of ran its season and then I switched over and started doing some other things or, or things that I continue to do now. But in this presentation, I just want to share some of the things that I'm using uh, currently or have been using recently that have been helping me get things done. Because uh, if you're if you're like me, you got a lot going on and you need some little tips and tricks and ideas about how to get the most out of your time and get the most out of your opportunities for game design to be able to bring games to life and hopefully, you know, get them on store shelves, get them in in front of people and on their tables. So uh, one thing to keep in mind with all of this, your mileage may vary, right? I'm not saying these are magic pills that this like if you do this one thing, it's going to make everything different. Like maybe these are things that have worked for me. Uh, and, and some other people that I know personally, and then obviously people online that uh, I've read about or watched your YouTube videos or, or you know seen different things from them, uh, read their books that have worked. And so try it. Give it some time. Uh, see if it works for you. If it doesn't, hey, no worries. There's a lot of other things. And like I said, I'll do some more presentations here soon, kind of volume two, volume three, that I go into some other topics as well, just some other ideas. Like I said, figure out what works best for you. All right, so a few things about me. So I am the founder of the Board Game Design Lab, founded back in 2016. Uh, it's got over 300 podcast episodes at this point. The community is over 16,000 people, which is still mind-boggling to me. You know, when I was starting the show way back when, I thought if I could just get 10 regular listeners, I'd be over the moon. I'd feel great about it. And now the show's been downloaded over 2 million times, coming up on 3 million, I think, at this point. And so it's crazy just to see how things have grown and all the amazing people that have come into the community over the years. And um, so anyway, I started designing games back in 2009 when I was in college. I started playing D&D, Catan, a lot of the games that kind of bring people into the, the hobby in general. And then I started thinking, I think I could do one of these myself. And so I just started messing around. It was just for fun. I never thought, oh, I'd get games published or go to Kickstarter or anything like that. It was just for fun. I didn't really start thinking about it professionally until many years later. But at this point, I have 10 published games, uh, and now I've I just published my own games. Uh, I, I do still work with other companies to pitch to them if it's a game that doesn't quite fit with my company. But for the most part, I'm publishing my own stuff. Started that back in 2019. Uh, I've run 18 crowdfunding campaigns at this point. Uh, I've written nine books. Uh, I'm married with four kids. And so... You know, and for most of my time doing designing, doing publishing, I've had at least one, sometimes two full-time jobs. So basically what I'm saying is uh, I'm very busy, right? I've got a lot going on. I'm not saying any of that stuff to say, hey, look at me, look how great I am. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I have had to figure out how to squeeze more time out of the day, right? I've had to figure out how to get 
35 hours worth of work done in 24 hours. And especially now as my kids get older and I'm coaching little league soccer and, you know, we do homeschool. So I'm helping out with some of the homeschool stuff. Like there's just so many things pulling on my time. And so I've had to figure out both for me personally and also, also for my company, how to get things done. And so I'm going to share with you today some of the things that have worked for me. Uh, here's kind of what's coming up. We're going to talk about habit fields. We're going to talk about your time and energy and what managing those looks like. We're going to talk about productive procrastination. Procrastination doesn't have to be all bad. Uh, and then we'll have some Q&A at the end if you have any questions about any of this stuff. All right. So for the first thing, let's talk about habit fields. Now, this idea has been around, I think, since 2010. That's where uh, at least this article by a guy named Jack Chang, uh, he wrote it many years ago. And it's kind of funny to go back and read it now. And I'll put a link to this article down below the recording so you can go read it yourself because it's it's not super long, but it, it is very in-depth. I'm just going to kind of go, you know, go over the high-level ideas, things that have been helping me. But then be sure to, to go read this article yourself because he, he goes into some really cool details and things that have been working for him. And so definitely check out this article. But it, it's been around since 2010. And things have only gotten more challenging when it comes to productivity because our lives continue to get more filled up. Uh, you know, back, back in 2010, this is before social media really became what it is. Now, this is before smartphones were just in every single person's pocket on the planet, basically. And so even back then, he was talking about these things, and, and now they apply even more so. And so I'm uh, just excited to chat with you. So kind of a working definition about what a habit field is, right? So your desk, the computer on top of it, the chair you sit in, and the space they comprise are all repositories for memory. So a lot of this is about your memories and how they shape what we do. But these things don't just store our memories, they also store our behaviors. And the sum of these stored behaviors is an object's habit field, right? And so merely being around these things, these places, compels our bodies and our minds to act in certain ways. It's amazing how an object or a place or even a person will cause our brains to do different things. And saying that out loud, it's it's common sense. We know that. But do we live like it is, is maybe the better question. Are we intentional about it? And so let's talk from a what's called declarative memory. Uh, and these are things that are kind of based on emotions. And these are these are things, right? These are objects, right? So if you go on vacation and you buy a souvenir, right? You buy a little snow globe and you bring it to your house. Well, every time you walk by that shelf and you notice that, that snow globe, it reminds you of your honeymoon or it reminds you of that time at the beach and your kids were there and, you know, little Johnny got stung by a jellyfish, it, like whatever it is, like it brings back these memories and these emotions from that time just based on that object, right? And the same thing, well, if you have a lucky t-shirt or a lucky pair of socks, right, where, you know, you're wearing that shirt when your favorite sports team won the championship. And so now that shirt carries a memory. It carries something that changes your, your brain state, changes your mindset, right? Same thing with certain smells, right? So I played football for 10 years of my life. And pretty much every time I went out to practice or to play, you get that smell of freshly cut grass to the point now, even though I haven't put pads on, I haven't been in a meaningful game since 2010, right? So we're talking 13 years at this point, even still, when I smell freshly cut grass, my mindset changes and I'm reminded of so many moments and emotions that came from playing football for so long, right? And so maybe it's the same with you. If, if you smell a certain, like when you go to your grandparents' house and you smell, you're like, ah, and it takes you back 
to when you're a kid and it was Christmas morning, you know, whatever it is, these things create changes in our brains and our brain chemistry. Right. Um, and they typically turn into stories. Right. And it typically uh, brings about something that we want to either share with other people, or at least it kind of bounces around in our own minds. And we kind of go from one idea to the next, remembering these things. And so it's interesting how our brains work when it comes to certain objects, certain places, certain smells, and, and how things can change. And it even adds value to things that don't actually have value. Like your lucky shirt that you've had for 15 years, that's got holes and stains. You, you could not pay someone to take it from you, right? It has, it has negative value in general, objectively, but subjectively to you, it is priceless, right? That little snow globe that cost you $5 at the beach. It, to you, it's worth way more than $5 because of what it represents, right? And so this is kind of a sciencey, higher level place to start. But what I want you to understand is that our brains are very interesting things when it comes to how our mindsets can change. And so then how can we hack that? How can we use that to our advantage and be intentional about it when it comes to these habit fields, right? So if you think like a force field, there's a little force field, a little habit field around that snow globe. There's a little force field, a habit field around your lucky shirt, right? That when you come into that field, your brain chemistry changes in some way. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. And this is all science-based. This is not just anecdotal. I mean, uh, there's all sorts of studies and, and Jack and in his article talks about some of those that you can kind of go back and read the science of it, but it's just interesting how that works. And so what does it look like to then use that to our advantage to be productive and get not only get more done, but actually get things done in general. Because I don't know if you struggle with this like I do. I can't tell you how many times I will sit down to work on something. Maybe I'm working on a book or a podcast or a game, a prototype, something like that. And three minutes later, I'm scrolling social media. I'm surfing YouTube you know, watching some random video uh, about people throwing a basketball off the Hoover Dam and how it changes the like trajectory. Like all of a sudden you find yourself doing things like, wait a minute, you have to snap yourself out of it and go, well, no, 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 I, I need to be productive. I need to go do this thing. If you've ever wondered why that happens, this is why. And so if we can kind of use that to our advantage and be intentional about it, things can change. Uh, so implicit memories are related to behaviors. So you had declarative memories, which are related to emotions and stories, implicit memories, as far as habit fields, related to behavior, right? So these are things like playing the guitar, driving, uh, exercise, like the, the techniques you use when you're doing a bench press or something like that, right? These are typically things we call muscle memory, even though it's not, it's not muscle memory, you know, your, your muscles don't have memories. It's still in your brain, but you've done things so many times that your brain just goes, oh, this is what we're doing? Cool. And it locks in and you don't even necessarily have to think about it, right? You know, you get to a new level of, of behavior when you're just acting and you're not having to think and then act. Your, your body just responds, right? Because you've done it over and over and over again, right? And the cool thing is behavior is a form of memory, right? That's, that's an epiphany. That was an epiphany for me is realizing my behavior is out of memory. Okay. Well, what does that mean? And how can I use that to design games, get things done? Right. And you have all sorts of behaviors that get triggered by people, by places, by things. And if you've ever done anything uh, as far as studying addiction, if you've ever been through an addiction yourself, if you ever helped anyone through an addiction, you, you probably already know some of these things because the number one thing they tell people who are struggling with addiction 
is you have to change people, places, and things. You need to move. You need to stop hanging around with that group of folks. And you need to get rid of anything around you in your house, any possession, whatever, that reminds you or triggers that addiction. And that's like one of the, that's the number one way to overcome is to get rid of all the triggers because these, these things in your life, whether it's people or places, create a behavior. Well, if they can create an addiction, they can create a, a, a bad habit. How can we flip it to create a good habit, right? Not that we need to be addicted to work or addicted to game design. That's not what I'm saying. But how can we use these things to actually get things done? So I want you to take a moment and just think about your living room versus your office. If you have an office or, or if you don't have an office, just the space where you you do work. If it is your living room, we'll just hypothesize for a moment. Uh, what are the different actions you do in those spaces? For me, in my living room, I sit on the couch. Maybe I scroll my phone. I'll talk about that in a minute. I don't, I don't use my phone for a lot of things at this point, mainly because of these habit fields. Um, I, you know, I watch Netflix. I'm usually hanging out with my kids. You know, we've got like this big beanbag kind of thing where I'm power bombing them and throwing them around and we're, you know, playing and fighting and running around. Like that's the stuff I do in my living room. In my office, I don't do any of those things. I've never once once watched Netflix in my office. I've never power bombed one of my kids in my office. I've never, I don't have a couch, so I'm not sitting on the couch. Uh, I've never taken a nap in my office. The behaviors I do in my office are very, very different than the behaviors I do in my living room to the point where if I were to come into my office and lay down on the floor, even if I made like a nice little pallet, even if I put a mattress in here, my body, my brain would, would go, this is weird. Like you don't take naps here. That's not what we do here. You need to go somewhere else. And I don't even know if I could fall asleep because I've not trained myself in my office to do that. If I started to watch Netflix in my office, my brain would go, why don't you just go to the couch? Wouldn't you be more comfortable? Would that be a better place to do this? And I would probably get up and go do it there because that's where I watch Netflix. So how can we use that to our advantage, right? If you think about the things you do on your couch versus your desk, you probably don't design games on your couch versus you probably do design games at a table, at a desk, to where you have your prototypes laid out, okay? So each one of these things has, has a field, has a habit field around it that we can now use to our advantage. Uh, and then we start getting into some interesting territory, and we'll talk about fuzzy fields in a minute. But what are the things you do on your phone versus your computer, right? So if I'm on my phone, at this point, I, I, take, I took off social media. I took off a lot of things that were distractions. And so if I pull out my phone, I use it for certain things. But if I'm on my computer, I use it for very, very different things to the point where I don't ever cross over, <laughs> right? Uh, my brain, it just doesn't work that way because I've trained that habit. So here's a thought from uh, Jack. Every object comes with a habit field baked in. Often this stems from the physical nature of the object and our past experiences with similar objects. So on a daily basis, really moment by moment, we are enforcing certain habit fields based on what we're doing, how we're using things, right? And so the more we can adjust that and change things for the positive and for the better, the better life will be. Uh, let's talk about some what are called firm fields, right? And these are 
things that are kind of obvious, but hopefully you can start piecing together what we're really deep down talking about. So a book has a very firm habit field. What I mean by that is when I pick up a book, I don't think, oh, I need to check email. When I pick up a book, I don't think, oh, I wonder what's going on on Twitter or Facebook right now. I've never once thought that. When I pick up a book, I read it because that's kind of all you do with a book. You can either read it or you can put it under a wobbly coffee table. Like that's only the two uses you have for a book. It's a very firm field. It doesn't multitask because it doesn't do a whole lot other than be read. Uh, when I go to my closet, I don't think about game design. When I go to my closet, I'm not thinking about the next Kickstarter campaign. When I go to my closet, I'm thinking, what am I going to wear? Like that's the only thing crossing my mind. There is no other options because that's all it does. That space in my house is only for that purpose. As far as doing an action, when I'm brushing my teeth, that's all I think about. Maybe my mind wanders for a minute and I ponder something. But in general, I'm only thinking about brushing my teeth because that action really only does one thing. So these are very firm, right? There's not a lot of other stuff going on. However, in modern day, because of technology and its ability to multitask and do so many different things, unfortunately, we have a tendency to use objects and different technologies that have very fuzzy fields. For instance, your phone. When you pull out your phone, you could do a million different things. There, there's an app for that. Whatever you want to do, there's an app for it. Which is why, if you're like me, you have a tendency to open up your phone and maybe you're going to check email. Maybe you're going to check you know, social media or you're going to watch a YouTube video or something like that. And then five minutes later, you're doing something else and you can't even remember why you pulled out your phone to begin with. And you're like, wait, what was I doing? And you have to like backtrack and go kind of deep down in the file and go, wait, what? Oh, that's right. I need to message John about this thing. That's why I opened my phone, not to play Angry Birds, <laughs> right? But because of the way we interact with these technologies, right? The, the, the fields get so fuzzy and you end up doing a lot of different things. The same thing when you open a web browser, you know, you go to Safari or Chrome and you go for a specific purpose, right? So if, let's say you're working on a game and you wanted to research, you know, something about the theme that you've got going on, you had an idea and you're like, oh, I wonder how this worked in the real real world. And so you go to Google or YouTube and you type in a search result and, and you're looking into it, but then something else pops up. And because we've created these habits, we click on the notification or we click on the other thing. And now we're gone. We're not working on game design anymore. And now we're working on other things that probably aren't even useful or helpful or productive. And we can't even remember why we opened the web browser to begin with. The same thing in your office. If you multi-purpose your office, right? If you use it for lots of different things, then it makes the, the habit field around it fuzzy, right? This is this is also why they tell you don't study in bed, right? Because when you lay in bed, your brain goes, oh, it's time to sleep. And so if you try to study while in bed, you're probably just going to fall asleep because that's what you do in bed. It's the same thing. So when you go in your office, if you use it for lots of different purposes, your brain is going to have a hard time focusing, and it's probably going to default to whatever things you, you do the majority of the time. Now, I'm going to guess you're not spending the majority of your time in your office designing games. So why would your brain think about game design when you're training it to think about other things, right? And we'll talk about some ways to overcome this in a minute, but the bigger picture is to start understanding how our brains work. 
And then we can intentionally start making some changes that then create advantages out of our brain chemistry and how our mindsets work, as opposed to disadvantages. All right. So thinking about some of your own habit fields for a moment, we're just going to take a few seconds. I want you to just start thinking about everything I've said and thinking about the places in your house or around, if you go to a coffee shop to work, uh, thinking about your computer and your phone, just start thinking about some of these things in your own life and then realizing the behaviors that you're training that are creating the habits from these things, right? Uh, and realizing that you will default to whatever you do the most. That also means if you have a tendency to switch applications a lot. So if you're on your phone and you're there, you know, if you're doing one thing for 30 seconds and then you do another thing for a minute and you do another thing for 90 seconds, you do another thing for a minute. In that case, you're training your brain to constantly switch what it's doing, which will become a habit all its own. So it won't even matter what you're switching to or back and forth from the behavior of switching itself will become the habit field that you create. And so if you struggle with focus, take a step back and start thinking through, do you have a tendency to jump from A to B to C to A to B to D to C to A? Do you have a tendency to do that? Because you're training your brain to think that that is how it's supposed to operate normally. So even switching, right, irregardless of the apps you're switching to, just switching itself can become the habit field. And so you kind of have to retrain your brain if that's the case. And I know a lot of people struggle with focus. And so that might be something to to think about. But just start thinking through, okay, where and how and what? Because once you start recognizing and pinpointing those habit fields around you, then you can start unwinding some things and we can get into retraining them. Because the good news is that habit fields are very malleable. Your brain is a, a miracle. If your brain is a just a wonder of science and its ability to adapt and to change and grow. And so if you find that you do struggle with focus, you do struggle with getting things done, your productivity is suffering in certain ways, the good news is it's changeable. You just have to be intentional in the doing. Um, so I like to think of kind of this dichotomy as far as habit fields. Where do I create and where do I consume? On what device, in what location, in what chair, like all these different things come into creation versus consumption. Because if you have a space where you typically consume, when I say consume, I mean scroll social media, watch YouTube videos, watch Netflix, whatever, like you're just consuming content. If you have a certain device, certain place that you do that, it is very difficult to switch gears and use that exact same place, space setup to create. Because again, you've trained your brain to say, this is where I consume. And so when you go to that place, your brain defaults to that. And to try to flip it around and go, no, 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 I want to create. I want to write. I want to prototype. I want to play test. It's a very challenging thing. And so where in your life are you creating and where are you consuming? Because we need to be intentional about how we separate the two, right? We can train our brains in the separation. Uh, Jack, in the, his article, he talks about he has a chair in his office that is only for leisure activities. So this is a place where he would scroll through Twitter, uh, where he would, you know, read emails that are, you know, from friends or, or send text messages or like he has a specific place in his office that he will sit down. And this is only for consumption, having fun, goofing off, whatever. So if he's in that chair, that's where he does it. If he's at his desk, in his office chair, he doesn't do any of those things. 
and over time trained his brain to have the separation of creative and consumption. And it just helped him to get a whole lot more done. I found it to be the case as well. Um, as far as separate places, the desk I am talking to you from right now, if you've seen any of the video podcasts I've been doing, uh, you'll see, you'll notice the same back backdrop. Well, this desk, I, I went out and bought just an inexpensive desk. I got an inexpensive chair. I built the backdrop behind me, but I created this extra little space in my office that is only for work. I record podcasts here. I record videos here. I do these presentations here. Um, but everything I do in this spot is game design or board game design lab related. I don't do anything else. This computer that I'm on right now doesn't have any email on it. Uh, it only receives notifications from my wife, right? Just in case, you know, she needs to get a message into me while I'm here working. Um, I don't use this for YouTube. I don't use it for anything other than creative work. And because of that, when I sit here, my brain doesn't even think, oh, I wonder what's going on, on YouTube. I wonder what the latest news is. I need to go, you know, figure out what, what's happening today. My brain doesn't even, that doesn't even cross my mind because when I'm in this spot, there's only a very small number of things that I do. And it just makes it so much easier. And so if you're able to do that, you know, just go out to a thrift store or whatever, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money, but just to create a separate place to do separate things, uh, to use separate devices. Like I just said, this computer I'm on right now is only for a select group of actions and activities. That's all I use this for. Uh, my computer over there is a little bit fuzzier, <laughs> right? Because I use it for lots of different things. And I'm, I'm slowly trying to work my way into putting more and more work stuff here at this desk on this, in this setup, and less and less, you know, uh, creative and, and work-related stuff on that computer over there, just because I'm doing my best to separate these things out so my brain has a much easier time understanding uh, the dichotomy, the differences, Right. But it's really just separate anything. So uh, you can kind of train your brain where when you dress a certain way, when you drink a certain beverage, you eat a certain meal, when you do certain activities, that it tells your brain, hey, this is the actions that we're about to do, right? So it's almost like creating a, a ritual, right? A little, little setup routine, right? So uh, if you think about sports, a lot of times you want to warm up and stretch, before you go out on the field, that way you don't get injured, right? Well, the process of warming up and stretching is also getting your brain in the mentality of, we're about to go do the sport. And so it's all part of it, right? And so if you can kind of create a similar ritual for creative work, it trains your brain to switch over and say, oh, we're about to go get stuff done and be productive. And it starts changing your brain chemistry to, to make that happen, right? So anything you can do, so separate anything, right? Uh, if you have a a certain beverage, you know, a certain type of coffee or something like that, a certain flavor, right? I would I would say find something that you only drink when you're about to do creative work, right? So literally at the taste of that flavor, your brain is automatically switching over and saying, okay, we're about to get some stuff done. Um, just separating anything out like that will help you to be more productive. Uh, you can intentionally manipulate your brain with friction. Uh, so a lot of these things I'm talking about are either creating friction or diminishing friction to getting the thing done. So when I say friction, I mean anything that either puts a barrier or an obstacle in the way or kind of greases the tracks, right? Those little oil in the tracks to make it faster to, to get to a certain thing. So um, for instance, if I'm in this spot, um, the way my desk is set up, this chair doesn't roll. It actually takes a, a bit of effort 
to get out of my chair, right? The way it's kind of placed underneath my desk to get up and go do something else. That's friction. So once I sit down, it's kind of annoying to get back up. So once I'm here and I'm working, it takes more effort to get up and go to my other computer or to go to my couch or to go to the bathroom even. And I'm less likely to do it. So there's nothing about having a different space or a different device. Now, if you're going to switch, if you're going to switch over from creativity to consumption, if there's a barrier in the way, if there's friction in the way, as lazy humans that we all are, your your brain, your body will be like, ah, I'll just stay. Right? I could, what's the old line is in a song? Like, I could leave, but I'll just stay because all my stuff's here anyway. You know, it's it's just easier. There's less effort involved. Versus the, the z- almost zero friction of, you know, if you go to YouTube to do some research or to watch a game review because you're trying to study a deck building mechanism, you're trying to figure out, oh, there's there's also that interesting video I've never seen before about something completely unrelated and, and useless to me. Click. All you have to do is click on it. Like there's no friction in moving your finger. Like it's effortless. And so anything you can do to avoid that, right, to create a barrier or anything you can do to diminish friction uh, towards productivity, Right. So, for instance, if I know that I'm going to do some playtesting tomorrow morning, then the night tonight, the night before, I will go ahead and set up the game on the table. Right. Before I go to bed, I'll put everything out. Now, if you have cats, if you have animals, if you have kids like this can be a little bit you know, interesting. So maybe, you know, to each their own. But I will go ahead and do everything I can to make sure that tomorrow it's easy. There's no friction. It's already set up. It's good to go. I might as well. Because it's already there versus if I had to set up the game and pull out the box, you know, everything out of the box and get everything all on the table and all that. Well, that's a barrier. So anything you can do to manipulate friction will kind of help you with these different habit fields. All right. Um, so you can manipulate your, your brain through friction, but also through boredom. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a minute. But basically, your brain would rather not be bored, <laughs> right? So if you can set up a situation or a scenario where your two options are, be productive or be bored, you're going to choose productive. Now, unfortunately, in modern life, we have a third way where it's be productive or be bored or pull out our phone and scroll mindlessly. And 99.9% of the time, we pull out our phone and scroll mindlessly. If you're standing in line to you know get in the movie theater, if you're waiting around in a traffic jam and you know everybody's kind of stopped, hopefully you're not texting anything you're on your phone in traffic, but if you're just stopped and sitting there because of a wreck or something like that, what do we do? We pull out our phone. Right. So many activities, our brain is like, oh, I'm bored. I need to fix this. Oh, I could be productive. That's eh, a lot easier just to scroll on my phone. And so that's what we do. So if you can eliminate that third, that third way and only have the two options of boredom or productivity, your brain will pick productivity. So different, different thing you can think about to be intentional. Okay. So that was habit fields. Uh, we'll come back to habit fields off and on. It's kind of like the bigger thing that we're, I'm talking about in this presentation, but then some of these other things kind of supplement that and will kind of help you uh, get the most out of the that understanding and being able to change your brain around. So switching gears though a little bit, let's talk about time and energy. The number one thing, or I guess number one problem, game designers tell me that they have, and I, I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of these messages over the years, is I don't have time. When I ask them, what's your biggest challenge? What's your biggest you know, the main thing you're struggling with right now, games is not related. They say, I don't have time. Everybody's busy. Everybody has a lot going on because the way work has changed over the last, you know, decade, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, we, we take a lot of work home with us. 
So a lot of people, they don't just clock out of the office at five and go home and live their best life. No, they take stuff home and you're doing stuff over the weekend and, you know, kids are running around. We we are overscheduled as people in general, especially if you have kids and uh, responsibilities and things like that. And so we, we all feel strapped for time. But then you also add in all these opportunities, these different apps and different things like that, that are taking away our time to the point where the average person wastes four to six hours a day. Now, this is self-reported, right? This is a study I read a while back, and this was self-reported time wasted. Okay, so the actual number of is probably a decent amount higher. And when people said wasted, this was time they spent, you know, watching Netflix or Disney Plus or something like that, time they just spent scrolling around social media or wandering around, you know, YouTube rabbit trails and things like that. But time that was not spent towards anything useful or helpful or productive that was going to make their lives better in any meaningful way. That's what they considered wasted. The average was four to six hours a day. That is a tremendous amount of time over the course of a year, right? It's, it's like a full-time job almost over the course of an entire year. If you think about, you know, six hours a day, seven days a week. So unfortunately, a lot of these things that we use daily are working against us. Right, Social media companies have spent a tremendous amount of money, billions of dollars at this point, to get around our psychology so that we spend more time on their apps. Right, Because the more time we spend there, the more money they make, because they make money through advertising. Okay, We are the product being sold. And because we're the product being sold, they want to maximize our value, our attention, our eyeballs. And so they do all sorts of things to keep us there longer. Like I remember back in the day when Facebook... Uh, had pages. So you could scroll to the bottom of the newsfeed and you would have to click next to go to the next page of the newsfeed. And what that would do is it would create a, a basically a, a stop and the habit field would pause and you would have to take an action to now continue scrolling. And so what Facebook found was that a lot of people, when they would get to the bottom, they would go, okay. And, and your brain would feel like it had completed a loop, basically, that the story had you know ended effectively. And that people would click out of the app. They'd go do something else. So Facebook, in all their wisdom, eliminated the pages and made it an endless scroll. Now, your brain never feels like it finishes, right? Our brains want to close out loops. If, if a story, you know, if someone starts to tell a story or if you, you know, start to hear something, our brains desperately need to finish it. That's why if you ever walk in a room and you go, da 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 and you pause, someone guaranteed is going to go, they have to finish it. Like your brain will, will have an aneurysm if you don't. Like it's just weird how our brains work. And so understanding these companies are working against our psychology. And the more we can identify that and be intentional about that, the more we can stop wasting four to six hours a day. Bigger picture, when someone says, I don't have time, it's probably not true, right? Because one thing I've found is that I always seem to have just enough time for the things I make time for. When something is a priority, I have a tendency to put whatever amount of time is necessary towards it. When something's not a priority, I don't. And so I've gotten to the point where I even, I reframed what I say about it. Instead of saying, I don't have time, I will say, it's not a priority. And that just hits different. It just feels different. And if it's something important, and I say, it's not a priority, it makes me kind of step back and go, wait a minute, I need to rethink some things because this is important. It should be a priority. I need to figure this out versus saying, I don't have time. I, I don't have time is like blaming the universe. It's like blaming, you know, some outside third party source. Oh, you know, what are you going to do? Life is what it is. I don't, I don't have the time when that's not the case. I, I am in charge of my life. I am in control of my own destiny. And so 
It's not some third party outside universal force. It's me. I am the reason. And when I say that's not a priority, now it's on me. And I need to shoulder the full weight of that. And so if it is something important, you know, if especially like with things that really matter, we're talking about game design, which matters to a certain degree, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as like your family or your health or things like that. And so, you know, if, if I ever find myself thinking, oh, I want to spend more time with my kids, I just don't have time. And I take a step back and go, you know, my kids just aren't a priority. Like, oh, oh, that hurts. That feels different. Right. Uh, my marriage, you know, I just don't have time. We don't have time for date night. Mm. Date night's not a priority. Ooh. Maybe I need to rethink that. I need to exercise. I need to eat better. I just don't have time to go to the grocery store and buy a nice, you know, better food. I don't have time to go to the gym. Versus my health is not a priority. Oh, that feels different. You know, I want to get a game to market. I want to get a game on people's tables. It's a dream of mine to run a you know crowdfunding campaign and 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 get this game out into the world. I just don't have time. Versus this game is just not a priority. It's different. So that's something that's been helping me as well. It's just kind of changing the framing of time. Another thing that's been helping that I started doing this years ago is creating what's called the perfect week. So if you find yourself constantly busy, feeling busy at least, one thing you can do is create a, a calendar, right? You can use the you know Google Calendar or I, I like to write stuff down. Again, the less time I can spend in digital space, the better because less opportunities to get sidetracked. But it's to create a what's called a perfect week. Now, there's never a week that's actually perfect, but it's at least an ideal. It's like, okay, in a perfect world where everything goes right, everything happens on time, kids don't get sick, the boss doesn't call me in for an extra day of work, like whatever, in a perfect week, on these days, at these times, this is what happens, right? Now, certain things you just can't get around. You know, if you have to take your kids to school at 7.30 a.m., well, that's that's got to go on the calendar. Uh, if you have to be at work from 8.30 to 4.30, okay, that just goes right there on the calendar. Nothing you can do about it. But then you start figuring out, outside of your have-tos, outside of your responsibilities that you can't get around, now you have all these, these chunks of time, you know? Uh, Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Oh, okay. Well, that's available. How can I use that time productively? Because if you're not intentional about it, again, you will default to a lowest common denominator and you'll find yourself just scrolling social media for two hours or watching Netflix for two hours or whatever for two hours. And then you'll look back and say, oh, I didn't have time. No, you did. You just weren't intentional about the time. So how do we switch that around? And so, all right, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. I could do some game design right there. I could prototype a game. I could play test. I could, you know, come up with new ideas and, and research things for my theme. And okay. So Tuesdays, 8 PM to 10 PM. This is what I do. I do game design. And now you turn that into a responsibility into a have to, and you die on the hill, right? That you're, you're not going to do anything else that if someone calls you up, like, Hey, you want to come over to it? No, sorry. I got to work tonight. What do you, what are you talking about? No, it's, it's non-negotiable. Today's Tuesday, 8 PM to 10 PM. This is what I do. Right. And you, you make that a priority. And all of a sudden you start getting some of those hours back because you're being intentional. I mean, I've said the word intentional probably a hundred times at this point. So hopefully you're, you're understanding like that's, that's the thing is don't let the universe happen to you happen to the universe instead. So perfect week has really helped me as far as figuring out things. Um, the key is to be super specific. 8 PM to 10 PM. I work on game design at 10 one, go do something else. Right. So, you know, sometimes it bleeds over and you're really inspired. You got the juice flowing. Fine. But in general, you start on you start on time, you end on time and you train your brain in those chunks to say, this is what we do. And I'll talk about 
why as far as the constraint of time in just a minute, but it's super powerful as well. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from a guy named James Clear. It's this, uh, this concept of Rome wasn't built in a day, but they were laying bricks every hour. In other words, it's not about these massive jumps. It's about the, the slow, sometimes feels like a grind, but the slow progression of things, right? You might think, what am I really going to get done on Tuesdays from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m.? Because maybe that's the only time you're scheduled, right? One day a week for two hours. That's all you got. Yeah, it's two hours. That is, you know, one is greater than zero. It's something I, I tell my wife, tell myself all the time. You know, it's like, ah, we only got 10 minutes. One is greater than zero. I'll take 10 minutes over zero minutes, right, to do whatever this thing is. And so just kind of keep that in mind. Laying, laying bricks every hour. All right, let's switch gears. We talk a lot about time management. It is important. But in my opinion, energy management is way more important than time management. Energy is greater than time. Uh, if you're like me, if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't feel good, if if your brain is kind of foggy because maybe you hadn't been taking care of yourself, you have low energy, it doesn't matter how much time you have, it's not going to be helpful or useful or productive. Right? If you're exhausted, an exhausted 100 hours of opportunity won't get nearly as much done as an energetic one hour. It just is what it is. So the better you maintain your energy levels, the better sleep you get, the better your, your food and your diet and the things that you're putting into your body, your nutrition, the, the better your exercise, the more you'll get done. It's, it's, it gets said all the time, all the you know health and fitness gurus online, they talk about these things, but they talk about it all the time because it's true. If you struggle with time management, don't worry about the time. Worry about the energy management. Because that will pay greater dividends than anything else. Because even if you only have a short amount of time, but you you feel good, your brain's in a good spot creatively, oh, you can get some really cool things done. Versus, you know, it's 2 a.m. It's been a long week. Oh, you've got some time to do some game design. Everybody's in bed, whatever. But you're, you're exhausted. You're, you're better off just going to sleep <laughs> at that point. Um, the equation that I use is energy plus constraint Time constraint equals productivity. So if you only have an hour, but you feel really good, you'll be productive. Uh, you can use time constraint, like I said earlier, if you've got you know eight, 8 to 10 p.m. block of time. If you make that all you have, then you'll get stuff done. Uh, because we're like goldfish. Our brains will grow or shrink based on the amount of time we have to get something done. Um, I've been thinking about this presentation for two weeks and I finished it this morning, right? Because all of a sudden that time constraint was real and I had to get it done this morning because I knew I was going to present it this afternoon. Had I presented it last week, you know when it would have gotten done last week, because that would have been the time constraint involved. And so you can use these time constraints to your advantage. You know, if you say I've only got an hour, that's a good thing. I've only got an hour to work on this prototype. That is a good thing because you will get more done in that hour than you will typically if you had five hours, right? Because a lot of times we waste four of them, you know? And so you end up only getting the work done in that last minute anyway. If any any of y'all have ever uh, been getting ready for a convention or, or some kind of prototyping, playtesting event or something like that, when do you finish all the stuff you need to get done? The night before, the morning of, 
before you're getting on the plane, before you're getting in your car, you know, right before the pitch meeting, we will work right up until the constraint. So use that to your advantage. Adjust that, right? Create deadlines for yourself. Um, you know, set up playtest nights and different things like that where you have to get things done in a certain amount of time. Is that to help you work fewer hours and get more done? You know, recently I've been trying to only work six to eight hours a day. Whereas before I was working 10, 12, 14 hours sometimes. I had a lot going on. But what I realized is like in those giant chunks of time, I was actually wasting a decent amount of it, right? Part of that was just kind of getting lost and, you know, feeling overwhelmed and then finding myself just scrolling social media or something like that. And so I wasn't actually using the 12. I was only really using six. And the other six, it would be wasted here, wasted there. Oh, I feel like uh, let's call, let's call some. I hadn't talked to a friend of mine in a while. Let's, let's call him up and see how he's doing during work time. You know, it's like, well, what if I just shifted some things around and I was more adamant, more intentional about these are the six hours I have to work. That's all I'm going to do. So let's get stuff done. And then six hours and one minute hits. Now I can call my friend. Now I can piddle around on social media or, or search YouTube or whatever. But let's limit, let's constrain the time. Let's manage my energy. Let's constrain the time. Let's get more done. All right. Switching gears. Next concept. And this all kind of works together as far as your time, energy, and your habit feels. Productive procrastination. I know procrastination gets an ugly rap. You know, we, we talk about it negatively almost all the time. But you can actually use it to your advantage if you do it well. Uh, the main thing to realize is it's not just you. You're not the only one struggling with these things. You're not the only one that gets stuck or burnt out or feels overwhelmed. Uh, there are times for all of us as creative people, uh, especially as you get into like the business side of things and you got a lot more going on. You got to answer customer service emails. You got to figure out the manufacturing and art direction and project management. There's a million things going on and it's overwhelming. And when you feel overwhelmed, your brain has a tendency to default to that lowest common denominator. So whatever the things are that you do all the time, when you're overwhelmed, your brain will go, nope, and it'll check out and you'll go do something else. And so just know that, right? You're, you're not alone in this. In those moments, it is clearly and obviously better to focus in, right? If you want to procrastinate, if you're working on a game, you've run into an issue, you've got to solve, you know, something about the game's broken, you, you can't really quite figure it out. It's better to focus, to push away distractions, put some time in, put the energy in and figure out how to overcome that obstacle. However, however, you can intentionally uh, procrastinate and still be productive to go, I need to work on this, but I'm going to go do something else instead. The question is, what are those other things you're going to do? Right? So let's talk about some of those. Uh, one thing I like to do, I like to have a lot of projects going at the same time. This is not good <laughs> for your mental health. <laughs> uh, it's overwhelming. Uh, you have to really train your brain to to be okay with having a lot going on having to constantly basically code switch where you might be sending an email about this project over here and then you turn around and the very next email is about something completely different right so you're talking about art direction here and you're talking about manufacturing there and you're talking about shipping over here and then you got a customer service thing over there and then you you have to be you have to just train your brain to be comfortable with the switching because that switching alone can be overwhelming but when you have multiple projects going on if you feel like procrastinating, you can do that and still be productive as long as you're pushing another project forward, right? As long as you're making progress somewhere else. And it's slower. You know, it's a lot faster 
to focus on one thing and get it done and then move on to the next thing. But it is what it is. Our brains all work differently. I found for me, I like having multiple things going on at the same time. Another way to pro procrastinate productively is to exercise. Go for a daggum walk. If you find yourself feeling like, I just don't feel like working on this right now. Fine. Get up. Go touch some grass. Right? Go around your house. Get on the sidewalk. Walk, walk for a mile and come back. Walking alone stimulates creativity. Right? Science has shown that just the act of getting out and moving around, getting the blood flowing, getting the muscles moving, also stimulates the brain. And so you can use a walk not only to feel better physically, but also to get better mentally, to have some ideas creatively. So go for some exercise. Um, you know, drop down the floor and do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, do, do anything to move around. Because even though you're not progressing whatever creative project you're working on, you're managing your energy. You're helping your body, which in the big picture, the long term, will help you do more creatively. Or just take a nap. Again, sleep is vital in the creative process. And so it is very rarely uh, anti-productive to just take a nap. Take a 10-minute nap, 20-minute, 30-minute nap. Don't go too far, but just go to sleep because sleep is so much better than doom-scrolling social media, <laughs> right? Taking a nap is so much better than a million other things that are guaranteed to not get you closer to what you're trying to accomplish. A nap actually might help you be productive and, and progress. But better yet, if you're going to procrastinate and you're going to avoid whatever you're working on, Try to do nothing instead. Roll your chair back away from your desk, prop your feet up, put your hands behind your head, and ponder life's great mysteries. But don't do anything else. Because like I said earlier, when your brain has the option between boredom and something else, it will choose something else. And so if you can put yourself into a, a position where the only two options are be bored or be productive, after a few moments of boredom, you will choose productive, right? Don't don't let yourself get in that third road of scrolling your phone, you know, screwing around. The only two options, be bored, be productive. It won't take but a few minutes and your brain's like, I got to get out of here. I got to do something else, right? I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. I got to go do something that moves something forward. So if you find yourself wanting to or needing to procrastinate, don't do anything. Uh, this is a concept I actually learned years ago from the author Neil Gaiman. And it, like every other writer in the world, uh, you know, he, he doesn't like to write. He likes to have written, right? Which is a very different thing. And I feel like sometimes the game designers, uh, the I have designed a game just feels better than I'm in the, the thick of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, trying to tweak. Should this be a two or a five? You know, I'm, I'm on my 47th play test. Like sometimes that can feel kind of rough. But if you can put yourself in the situation of like, like Neil, what he talks about is when he's writing, his only two options are to write or to do nothing. He can do nothing. That is a perfectly acceptable way to spend the writing time. Nothing. But 99.9% .9 of the time, he'd rather be writing because doing nothing kind of sucks. So another way you can kind of hack your brain. All right, to kind of summarize and review, you can construct habit fields. Again, construct. That is an active action verb, right? That you are in charge of this. Right. Don't let these habit fields be dictated to you by multi-billion dollar companies that don't have your best interest in mind that are really just trying to hack your brain negatively. Um, don't let the universe just happen to you. Really be intentional about creating and constructing the habit fields in your life. Right. Uh, 
if you need to go out and buy a, another desk and you only use that desk for game design. So when you're, when your body sits down at that desk, your brain goes, oh, we're about to design a game because that's all you do there. You will get more done. You will get way more done in 30 minutes at that desk than you probably would at your normal office desk for three hours, right? Because you're not fighting your brain with these fuzzy fields is a firm field. Uh, even maybe you don't have much space. Okay. What about same desk, same table, whatever, but you sit on the other side. So when you get up, you know, I've got this desk right here. If I wanted to, I could either move this chair or put another chair on the other side of the table right here, the other side of the desk to the point where when I get up and I move around to the other side of this desk, that's when I do game design. That's all I do. When I'm in that spot right there with that, you know, when I'm looking out and seeing everything and my perspective has changed, whatever, my brain goes, oh, we're on this side of the table now. That's where game design happens. And so I've constructed a habit field and I'm firm about it. I don't sit on that side of the, the table and scroll my phone or call my friend or, you know, mess with my kids, nothing else. That's all I do. Right. And so separating out consumption and creativity and making those things very firm in your life. All right. Next thing is managing your time, but more importantly, managing your energy, right? Really understanding your health, what's going on inside your body, um, realizing that the productivity equation is energy plus time constraint equals productivity. And the third thing is you can procrastinate productively uh, when you're overwhelmed or stuck, right? Switch to something productive that kind of progresses something else or better yet, do nothing at all because your brain will want to go back to doing anything, right? Versus nothing. All right. So kind of concluding things, like I've said over and over again, be intentional with your time, be intentional the way you're kind of moving through life. Uh, find out what works for you. You might do these things and they don't quite have as much of an impact as they do for other people. That's fine. We're all different. Uh, I would encourage you to give it some time. Don't just do it for a few days and be like, oh, it doesn't work. Like, no, it takes time to rewire your brain to create new behaviors and new habits. So, you know, give it some time before you try something else uh, and keep going, right? Rome wasn't built in a day. They were laying bricks every hour. So what does it look like to keep laying bricks in your own life? All right. So I hope you really enjoyed that episode. Hope you got a lot of value and learned some things about habit fields, about how to manage your time and energy, and just how to design games more productively, more efficiently, and more intentionally. And like I said in the intro, this is a presentation that I gave as part of Board Game Design Pro. And so while listening to this, if you're thinking, man, I want to hear more stuff like this, well, Board Game Design Pro is the place to find it. And I'm going to be doing a lot of these game design productivity hacks presentations in the future. And so I would love it if you were there in attendance. Or if not in attendance, you could catch the recordings after the fact. And honestly, speaking personally, I, I like recording because then I can listen to them on 2x speed and get things done even faster, more efficiently. But anyway, thanks for listening and make sure you go to boardgamedesignlab.com pro to learn more about Board Game Design Pro. Have a great day and good luck with everything you got going on right now.